Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. This is a Matt Guy, so it means only one thing. It is a music cast. How are we all? Very good. Leave him till last. Look at his, his little eyes there. He's a little confused. Hello, everyone. Evening all. I'm following up the rear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so it can only mean one thing. Music has time today. So we're going to be delving into the musical and auditory and away from film and the visual. It sounds like one of my horrendous VARC questionnaire things I do as a manager, which is uh, one of the time-honoured traditions of wasting time in a team meeting by getting your team to do a questionnaire just to use 15 minutes of time to learn <laughs> find out what their learning style is um so what we're going to do is going to follow the normal kind of question cast format and look at some listener questions and a hot take and some questions but all about music so the first thing i want to do is kick off with a little bit of news um news i say in a sense of the word um noel gallagher has gone or finalized a pretty horrendously priced divorce recently and it's caused um liam to come out on twitter and say that noel's been in touch and our kid wants to do a um a reunion i'm not going to be silly enough to say that nobody wants a an, an oasis reunion because that'd be just ridiculous but andy what i want you to do is i want you to plan the reunion so i'm talking venues i'm talking dates i'm talking set lists what what does the re the oasis reunion look like i think if they were to do it they would have to do it as oasis so there's no noel gallagher's high flying birds stuff there's no limbs solo or bdi or any of that bollocks you've got to do it as the original set out you've got to do the, the big ones you've got to go way back to the start so you've got definitely maybe what's the story morning glory that's pretty much that's what people want from oasis they want those two albums on repeat non-stop let's let's be honest when you get to the middle road one so you've got your standing on the shoulders and be here now the fans dropped off a little bit and they did have a bit of a renaissance i think when they came back with lila and the likes um but for me, you want the classic, the 90s era, you know, swaggering about the stage, big bollocks out and, and showing the world what they've they've got to give. It would be, I think they would do a world tour, to be perfectly honest. Oasis, I think for, the, you know, maybe America they always struggled with, but especially Europe, they were huge across the continent. They could quite easily do you Wembley. They'd, of course, do the city of Manchester Stadium or the Etihad, as it's called now the home of Man City football, which is what they're very closely associated with. So that would be the venues they would be doing. It would be a summertime because you can't beat a balmy summer's day in a football stadium listening to some cock rock. It would be the perfect summer accompaniment for me. Get mm. a couple of decent bands, get your Kasabian on there, a band who I feel like are probably the heir to Oasis is thrown, obviously without... Tom, is it? I can't remember the lead singer's name. Is mm. he was kicked out? Um, but Serge can take over and do all the the good stuff that he needs to. And then maybe someone like Sleaford Mods or, or someone else like a, a smaller but still very British band. So that's for me. That's where it would be. It would be the quintessential mid nineties Oasis mm. in Manchester because that's probably where I would go to see them. To be perfectly honest, is there any? sense to like you know this there's only so many bands british bands or english bands that could pull off the audacity of having a residency at one arena for 10 nights and not tour and get away with it oasis big enough to be able to do that if they had a reunion if they did a, a 10 night residency at wembley or or the etihad are they could they get away with that would they have to tour it I think either of them places, it's it'd sell out within hours. Um, they could do both places. They could have you could have two months at the Etihad. You could have two months at Wembley when the season started. It's been so long that I don't think it's even in, in doubt. And all the all the youth and that twat from the nineteen seventy five, wherever his name is, was mm -hmm. arping on about some bollocks the other day on Twitter, and I had no idea who he even was. I've seen him messing around with young, borderline young women on on stage, and you think, mm, I don't know who you are, mate, but you're you're a bit troubled. So, no idea what his name is. You all know who he is, but 
they were soundtrack of a generation where they that generation now has money and well more money than they did before. Very few have got too many commitments that they wouldn't even try at least one. I mean, when I went, when I saw them in two thousand and three, and they're supported by the charlatans, it was that ridiculous. Um, so and Biera, Black Blackpool Club as well, which I'd never seen heard from before, and that was that was an experience. But yeah, like Andy said, you throw throw names like Kasabian in, get the enemy as well, I suppose, um, who supported them in Coventry that when I just before they broke up. Um, it's it'll be the biggest thing. You're trying to think, would it be the biggest thing of our, our lifetime, really? More than likely, because other than like the Stones, obviously the Beatles doing the ones that were left before the heel started popping off. If they'd have done something as a three-piece, it would never have worked. But them two are still fine. And yeah, we all know it'll be for the money. <laughs> um, so just, they're dampening it a little bit. But the curiosity factor is more than big enough that they could easily sell out Two weeks, mm, <laughs> once yeah. a night. Keep ourselves uh, keep ourselves apart from each other. Turn up half hour beforehand. Wouldn't be a problem. I think with the fact that um, Liam sold out like Nebworth to like eighty thousand people mm-hmm. recently, whatever it was, just shows that you know there's absolutely no issue. But what I think is really interesting, and I'd be keen to get your opinion on it, is you're absolutely right. It's the band of a generation, but. Actually, it's multiple generations because you've got the football, casual, cocaine, sniffing lads <laughs> of today, Adidas wearers who are really into Oasis now. And seeing, with, with all due respect, us and then them in this kind of, uh, it would, must be like a, it would be a really weird crowd, wouldn't it, Andy? I imagine it would be you'd have all sorts because you are you're going to get the people who were around way back when. I remember when I've been to see Oasis and I saw people there who were, you know, two three times my age when I was in my early mid twenties. It appealed to a generation of people who grew up with your Slades and the like, so it did have that brashness of of the seventies and eighties. So you got people from that generation, and as you say. You're going to have people of our age, their kids are going to be there as well because they will have heard it via osmosis through people like Stu, I imagine. So it's going to be a real whole gamut of people from from toddlers to, you know, grave dodgers, I think. Mm, exactly. Well, speaking of grave dodging, um, that leads me on to my other piece of news. <laughs> That's a great segue. <laughs> anyway, it's a great, couldn't have been, it couldn't have been planned. Um, Ozzy Osbourne has been forced to cancel his tour uh, with uh, Judas Priest um, for health concerns, and he's had major considerations about packing it in, basically. Um, obviously, he kind of went off the rails um, during his heyday. Then there was the whole... Osborne's thing and he come back into kind of the the, the the media limelight with that and I mean he was off the rails then um then kind of Black Sabbath came back around in in the the true sense of the word and you've had, you always had uh, Ozfest and recently they're on their kind of last ever tour tour not the one that Kiss have done where they've come back like every year for about the last 20 years <laughs> um but yeah, it looks like Ozzy Osbourne might have to uh, hang up the uh, the cloak, I guess you could say. My question to you guys would be, when is enough enough when it comes to a band? Do you want to see a band like drag it out to the point where they could die on stage? Or, <laughs> you know, I, I heard on the radio earlier that The Who are touring, well, um, Roger Daltrey and Townsend are, uh, are touring, and obviously they've come with their own things now because they're, they're like proper Tory so-and-so's now um but it's not the same is it now or are you happy to kind of as, as long as the artists stay true to their you know to their fans are you happy to see bands just tour and tour and tour and churn that money machine um for me if they still sound like they used to <laughs> then the, i don't see there is that much of a big problem obviously the, the whole like the tory thing like you just said it's art and artist scenario again eight so yeah, that's that's up to you but if they if they're touring and they're sounded worse than the like, imitation bands are yeah. um which has happened quite a few times with a few people uh, but then you look at Paul McCartney's performance at Glastonbury last year and that was one of the most incredible things ever and he went for what, two over two hours was it at the end mm. and he was yeah he 
it didn't sound identical to he did when he was in his thirties, obviously, but he was fantastic. <laughs> and if you can perform like that and you can still do it, then good luck to you. If you, it, I think you can tell the ones who are there just for the money and not for the love of it. And I, I think eventually sales will catch up with them. Really, even even the most ardent fans are not going to sit there through a pale imitation of what was before when there's no real need to, and it costs a shitload. Mm. I think as as long as they've got a shelf life, as long as I can keep it together, from, from my point of view anyway. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember seeing uh, Blondie about 10 years ago at um, at the Civic, and there was a couple of men, the original Blondie, but then it was, it was flanked by... Um, new like young artists that were part of that were just session session touring players and it gave the band like a lease of life but it was still debbie harry at the you know at the forefront and it was and she sang she was amazing and like at no point then did i think all right well she should give this up because you know she was she was amazing Hmm. um so andy what are are your thoughts on this you know when we get these like frankenstein versions of our favorite bands because half of them have gone to the great gig in the sky are you all for it? Do you think you know the rock? Rock will never die. What's your kind of take on this? Oh, it's difficult because it's it's a bit of a yes and a no. Because do I want to see Kiss where it's literally just Gene Simmons and then three chaps he's picked out of the crowd in makeup? Like I don't yeah. know. But at the same time, you can still say, "Oh, I've seen Kiss." It wasn't the Kiss, but so I mean, there is that attraction that someone of our age. So if you Take Kiss, for example. I mean, Leonard Cohen was the one for me. I missed Leonard Cohen when he was still with us. And I would love to have seen him. And granted, he's the only one person in that band. But would it have been the same if he's having to be propped up to get on stage and do the show? Probably not. But there's no way I'll ever get to see Bob Dylan in his 60s heyday. It's going to literally be the 80-year-old Bob Dylan that we've got. It's such a difficult line to go, but... Matthew and I, big wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Ric Flair, like he <sighs> literally was nearly died in the ring not that long ago because he's so desperate for the limelight. Yeah. So I do completely understand why Ozzy, at his grand old age with his health concerns, was still planning on going on tour until what I assume the doctors told him, no, you're not, mate. Yeah, he like... I remember listening to one of the Conrad podcasts and he was like, he's had to talk Rick out of doing another one as well. I've and he's like, that. and like, you know, you will see him die in the ring if that's the case, because like <laughs> he, um, he is on borrowed time as it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, with Ozzy, it's kind of one of those, I think he's one of these people who'd, who'd prefer to go on stage like live. I just think he's like, he's the mm. commitment to that craft. And, and, you know, I know things like uh, that, that Motley crew, um, biopic of sorts like the dirt made him out to like proper proper crazy but he but he actually was he got to the point where he um he said i remember seeing it on a video where like he just outgrew drugs like, <laughs> like, like he he overcome drugs not because he stopped wanting to take them just because they got boring for him so then he just like it was just like how, how like what kind of person does that it's just incredible um and i think when he eventually goes it will be a huge like event for like Birmingham and, and, and the world, but do you know what mm. I mean? I mean, there's already like, you know, benches and, and art and stuff around Birmingham for Black Sabbath and, you know, Tony Iommi and everyone else. Uh, so that'll be a huge, sad, uh, sad day in the kind of, in the realms of Lemmy and, and, of, and other greats from that era, but mm. hopefully a, a bit away, away yet. Um, so Andy, I'm going to let you take over for once with the uh, listener questions. If, uh, if we have any in please. We have. We've had a couple. Uh, Andrew Wright is back in contact. I don't think we've heard of Andrew Wright this year, so it's uh, it's good to see his name in the old Twitter sphere again. Um, if you could take the score out of any one film and replace it, replace that score with just one album from what band? What film and what album would you choose? Best of and compilations are not allowed. So you've got to replace an official soundtrack, a score, with a band's album. Um, if you want to have a little think about that, and I will tell you the one that came to my mind. Um, so there was a podcast that I did last year where I was looking at a couple of the films from the um, 
the band list back in the day, your, your video nasties. The film Last House on the Left, the incidental music in that film sounds like a Benny Hill soundtrack to what is ostensibly a rape revenge film. It, it does not work in the slightest in this movie. So I think they need to replace that music and I would go with something a bit dark and dirgy. And because we're talking 70s and we've just been talking about uh, your man Ozzy, I think we could take one of uh, Black Sabbath's albums and put it on there. Um, is the There's the eponymous album. Is that the one with Parent? No, Paranoid is the one with Paranoid on. That's the one I would go for. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a really good mix of the two for that era of time. And it was a 70s album on a 72 film. So that's the one I would go with. See, I I could only go like via a song and not the full album because the song wasn't... There's one song off um, a Chaser Status album. Um, it's called Eastern, uh, Eastern Dream or something like that. But it's basically like a... Um, there's a lot of like sitar in it and there's a lot of stuff like that in it. It's mm-hmm. very like... Um, but then it's like trancy and drum and bassy and that. And all I can picture that in some really modern version of that Mel Gibson film, Apocalyptica, whatever it was called. <laughs> um, and I could just picture picture it in there, um, like having some kind of, like, you know how, um, which film which film was it recently that was, it was set like properly in the olden days, but they had really modern music in it. Oh, I can't remember what it was. The Elvis um, one. It might have been. Because they did have like some Doja Cat and the likes, like modern contemporary artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd want something along those lines, something kind of like trancy, um, in but set in a uh, you know, uh, an Eastern or um, an Asian film of like the samurai or something, but it'd be more like drum and bass, not to the point where we were talking dubstep and Mm. Deadpool 2 or anything like that, but I'd go along those lines personally. So I'm thinking of you can have Cooler Shaker's K album on um, RRR, that the <laughs> Bollywood film that stole the awards last year. So that'd be a great mix. <laughs> well, all we need to know from Stewie is what is Jewel of the Fates getting replaced by? I <laughs> was. It's kind of broken the rule there because he's saying no other soundtrack albums, but who cares? It's effectively a Bee Gees album anyway. Staying alive, staying alive album. Yeah, replacing the soundtrack to Full Monty. Okay. Yeah, I like that. that. That would work really well for that period that it's covering as well. Yeah, it works too well. Yeah. <laughs> like it could be. That's being really <laughs> sensible, Shiv. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we've also had uh, we've had two questions in from Jimbo. I think this might be the first time that Jimbo has been in contact. So thanks for that, Jimbo. Um, the first question is, what is the greatest cover version of a song you've ever heard? Well, I was I, I can't say it's the greatest because I think we the last um, Musicast episode that we did, but it's one that I want you to go out and listen to as soon as possible um, because it's it's one of these where you hear it at first and you think to yourself, "God, this is this is really awful." Um, but then when you listen to it more and more, you realise it's actually really not that bad. And Cradle of Filth do a version of Temptation. Um, you know that um, I can't remember who did, who did the original one, um, but it like it sounds like it's going to be awful at first. But then when you keep listening to it, and they've got like a, they've got a female vocalist in there as well, and it really grows on you. Um, and it's definitely better than that Eiffel sixty five, whatever they're called, version of Blue that they've brought out recently. Like some that's on like Love Island and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so for now, because it's in my head all the time, I'm going with this Cradle of Filth Temptation. Mm. Stu. The I know it's almost sacrilege and I get slated for it, but as someone who grew up on Slade and loves Oasis, this Oasis version of Come On Feel the Noise is superb. Belter in it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the first one that sprang to my mind, you know, um Keisha, who did the song TikTok back in like the early two thousands. Uh not that one, no, it's the You'd know it if you heard it. Um, yeah. She did a song called Sleazy, which was covered by Ben Folds. And it's such a <laughs> weird song that should not work at all. But they just sort of completely changed the arrangements to it. And it, it works really well. And also when Jamie Cullum did Fronting by Pharrell Williams. Um, I quite liked that, even though Jamie Cullum seems like a bit of a prick. But yeah, I quite like that one. Uh, the other question that Jimbo had. 
he wants you to create a super group lineup. He wants a drummer, a bassist, lead, rhythm guitars, keys, and vocals. So if we take it in turns, um, Stu, do you want to pick a drummer for a super group? You know what? This is going to say Starkey. I've actually seen him, and he's really super seen him live, and he's surprisingly good. Even though obviously there's reasons why he is, but still, Zach Starkey is excellent in my opinion. Yeah, to be fair, like Ringo wasn't the best drummer, so I, I, in the Beatles, yeah, well, yeah. I, I don't think it's sacrilegious to say that he might be better than his old man. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, have you got a rhythm guitarist in mind? Mm, a rhythm guitarist. Um... I'm going to go with because vocally he's synonymous, but, you know, he's not necessarily talented. But as a rhythm guitarist, James Hetfield of Metallica. I knew you was going to say that. Because he takes it back cause, because Kirk, Kirk Hammett's obviously the, the main man there. But there is there is no kind of that arena sound without the both of them there. Um, and I would never have had him as the vocalist because while he's got like a unique voice, it's not a great voice. Um so yeah, it would be yeah, it would be um, Hetfield. Fair. Um, I'm going to go with the lead guitarist. I think you need to have Jimmy. I think uh, Jim Hendrix. I don't think there was anyone who really did what he did at that time. He he created the guitar almost like it was an instrument before, but he made it more than just the instrument. So yeah, I think Hendrix for me would be uh, your lead guitarist. Uh, Stu, do you want to pick a vocalist? Um, well, the, the way this is going, it's, it's going, it's going to going to be gruffy already. <laughs> um, so for, for that reason, I'm going to say Richard Ashcroft. Okay, interesting choice. So, uh, I, again, I saw him a couple of times live. Again, this was a long time ago. I think he was at the academy. Um, and again, way better than I expected him to be. Okay. Okay. Uh, Matt, have you got a pianist slash keyboardist? Um, uh, it's just a tough one, this, because this person doesn't actually exist as such. But I wanted, uh, like, when I was, when I, cause I, when I saw this question, I immediately leaned to Viv Savage from Spinal Tap. Um, <laughs> because, and, and only because of the, um, because of the scene where he's doing, um, he's got like a, a headset on and being electrocuted because, you know, keyboardists or pianists, I suppose are very much at the back providing like accompaniments and stuff like that. Whereas Viv Savage was very much front and center, even though he couldn't play his own instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's who I'd be going with. When you said that this person doesn't exist, I thought you was going to take the Chinese lad from um, school of rock. Yeah. And on base, we will have from the who John Entwistle. I mean, my generation, the baseline in that is just incredible. I don't know where this band like falls into genre wise. Like it, it's going to be a proper, <laughs> it's going to be an absolute uh, car crash. Oh, but... Yeah, it could be a clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's all of the questions. So thank you very much. Uh, any other questions you've got? Be they about film, music, television, books, love life, whatever. At Cage Fighting <laughs> Pod on the Twitter, get them into us. I mean, if you want a relationship ending, then um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you need some advice from us, for sure. Um, so moving on to Hot Take Corner then. Um, it's more of a, a, a plea, really, for your opinions on the state of ticketing in the music industry and world. Um, for the longest time now, tickets and ticketing has been an issue, not only in this country, but across the pond in the States as well, and I'm sure across Europe and the rest of the world. Um, high ticket prices for one, ticket touting, um, actual firms themselves, such as Ticketmaster, being um, embroiled in controversy about holding tickets and only selling certain amounts. There was a controversy with Taylor Swift not that long ago and Beyonce tickets over the last week or so are being sold, not for enormous prices touting-wise, but just enormous prices in general. And it kind of feels like they can charge carte blanche because there will be people that will pay it. Um, and I just wondered what the answer is for ticketing. You know, when it comes to, first of all, Stu, you were very vocal about Man City's ticketing process for the Wolves game recently. If you want to talk the 
uh, budding listeners through that and whether, you know, having like a photo based ticketing system, would that work to stop touts or are you causing more problems by doing that? The way it's going, it's going to be the only way to do it, really. Um, they do it in your way for games, don't they? You have to show, you have to have, uh, for them, you have to show you have your passport um, to prove you are who you are and collect the tickets that way. So if people can't continue to not be able to behave themselves properly and companies keep exploiting people like they are, then they're going to have no one to blame but themselves when this, this gets bought in. And then the Man City thing, it was more a case of, well, basically, all, what they did, that they gave everyone a link by email um, to something to add to your Google wallet or Apple wallet, whichever side of the fence you jump on. And um, it was basically using it like the COVID pass <laughs> um, was, using NFC on your phone. And you could store multiple ones on there. So you, if you had three, well, I mean, I had two, like, I had my, me and my mom's and... For her to go through, you had to put it put it onto the sensor, turn style, moves round, then you can go in on your own. It actually worked fine for me. I didn't have a problem with it. But a lot of people did. And when you've got four people, five people, six people in groups who couldn't get into the ground through legitimate reasons, that none of the issues were their fault, it was the fault of the machinery... <laughs> And the fact that the thing cocked up through God knows why, because it's you can't scam it. It was on the phone of the person who got the email. There was no way to replicate it. It wasn't just a barcode that you could screen grab. And it still didn't work. And But you, you could see this coming a mile off. And you could see people who were too pissed to understand what to do, which is always going to happen. Um, in time, I suppose, if, if that's your club and that's how you, things are done, then you get used to it. But when you... When we've got gone for years with, oh, yeah, print at home tickets with a barcode, QR code, put it in the thing, works fine. No one's got a problem. That works. But then you have the other issue that it's easy to, easy to copy. So then you have that issue that we had at Molyneux yesterday with a dickhead um, vlogger in the South Bank who was a Liverpool fan who's been given that ticket by a Wolves fan, obviously sold off, who he's pro- hopefully going to get reprimanded now because that's just ridiculous. Um I don't see any other way around it other than other photo ID or even more draconian things. I mean, is he going to get fingerprinted? Is he going to get iris scans? <laughs> it's <laughs> the way it's going to go. If they if they can't do it through your name and you have to prove who you are, if that doesn't stop it, then it's going to get more and more advanced. Eh? Because mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been to mainly through choice um, because the morons around. But price is a big thing. I mean. It, yeah, they spent 700 quid on a season ticket every year. But when you're spending, what, a tenth of that in some cases, 20% of that for one night, I know they have to make the money up somewhere because obviously they don't get it through album or single sales anymore. But still, there's, there's got to be a cutoff point where you think, mm. is this worth it anymore? I think it's a bit of both. And if they stopped all of the nonsense the ticket prices doesn't don't have to be so ridiculous and then everyone's happy other than yeah. the touts. Well, this is it. And I think any measure that they bring in has got to be for the good of the average Joe paying punter. And if that stops touting, then of course that is. I mean, you know, there's been a rise of this um, fan to fan ticket selling. And, you know, I've bought, I've been the benefit of buying a ticket off, um, it's ended up being cheaper than the face value because like at least it would get sold kind of thing um and so i went to a gig a year or two ago and i got the ticket cheaper than it would be face value through a legitimate Ticketmaster reselling thing but i think that the faith in these things has gone right down the toilet because of some of the controversies and i mean andy from your point of view when it comes to like pricing and stuff like that i mean there are bands like pulp who are touring again you know, and they've brought out common people and they've priced out the common person with their tickets. <laughs> do you know what I mean? The irony of it. Um, where do you stand on the kind of pricing and, you know, the fact that artists need to make their money somehow and with the rise of Spotify and streaming platforms and that, that has taken a big chunk of that away. You know, uh, is, is, is it easy to be level-headed about this or have you got a strong opinion either way? It's, it's so difficult because... 
I think there's a little bit of the snake eating its own tail uh, when it comes to music and selling tickets when it with the artist, those who are selling it on their behalf, and also the touts. So the first issue is the artist wants their cut of their money, which they're entitled to, perfectly fine. Ticketmaster want to sell theirs, they want their... I say pound of flesh, it's often more than that. They put on like an absolutely ridiculous amount for their admin charges and all their nonsense. That gets passed on to the consumer. The consumer buys it. They might not necessarily need that ticket a month or two down the line, or they just want to try and make a quick book. So they put their prices up. The artist sees that, oh, that ticket that was 30 quid, they're selling it for 60 quid. Well, I want 60 quid. So they put their prices up, mm. Ticketmaster to that, and then it just keeps going round and round. It's so difficult. The artists, they do deserve their money, but at the same time, would they rather play to a half-empty arena charging you know, an extortionate amount of money, or would they rather play to a full-packed house on a cheaper deal? But then you're going to get the people who will pay the thousands of pounds that the Beyonce tickets were going for, that mm. some of them were going via legitimate websites, not necessarily touting. So it's such a difficult thing, but someone needs to get to the point where they say, no, we'll put a stop to this and we'll actually do it. But there's too many people making too much money off the three of us, for example, for it to ever stop. The only way it's ever going to end this constant price gouging is if you're normal folk stop buying the tickets mm. but i don't think it's ever going to get to that position because it's a bit of a race to the bottom isn't it everyone wants more and more and more and people seem to be willing to give them that little bit extra each time we'll piss and moan but we'll still pay it yeah. so i suppose we're as much to blame as the consumer as they are as the sellers of these goods i think what's interesting and i can't remember i think Tara might have put a tweet about it or retweeted, which is why I saw it. Uh, a band recently had played um, uh, gigs and the terms of they, they have absolutely no control on merch pricing and stuff like that. Or And it's it's actually the venue themselves that are responsible for all of this. Like the artist doesn't get any say. And they were just being absolutely ripping off the the crowd like the, the the punters that were there with the cost of like the merch and everything else and I think actually how much of this is the label trying to get back their money that they've invested in the the artist to begin with to try and clear that initial debt that the artist has to pay back and everything else and it's just you know in the end of the day especially like when it comes to rock and you know and there's there's always meant like a DIY feel to a lot of bands especially when they're on up and coming you don't want it to feel like part of the corporate machine. Uh, or the man, as um, as Jack Black would say in School of Rock, but um, it's tough. It really is tough. But the, 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 but you're exactly right. Like you know, I went to see Jamie T uh, in the back end of 2022, and you know, I pay my ticket price happily. Would I, I would have paid double because I just want to see you know him play, and that's that's the issue. I think people, you know, music especially, people are so passionate about their artists that they like that that um, passion can sometimes be um, mistaken for, for dollar signs in the eyes of um, in the eyes of the companies and stuff like that. But there we go. Anyway, anyway, on a slightly uh, more upbeat note, we'll go to our questions um, for the week. So question number one, I ask you. So yesterday after Wolves' absolute shellacking of uh, Liverpool, um, the Wonder of You, um, the Elvis version, um, was played um, not for the first time, but for the first time in a while. So I want to know what would make an excellent pre-match footballing anthem that hasn't been used before, to your knowledge, Stu? It's funny you said this because I, I Julia put a thing on the um, Wolves reporter for the local paper for people not around here. Um, he put a thing out bit saying, uh, sharing the, the group of the people who were helping get the atmosphere going and stuff. And I, I did put this suggestion in there. Obviously, it died on death ears, obviously. Um, but, and it's not, it's only us by Robbie Williams, which was the first thing that came into my head. But that, <laughs> but that was the, the soundtrack to FIFA 2000, so it doesn't count. Um, and it, it was the instrumental version of Mine Heart's Brecht. Mm, yes, that would be really good, to be fair. Um, it's 
you're not going to get put off by the fact that it's got the lyrics in, but because you'll have certain people in the crowd who go, "What the fuck knows this?" Um, but it would work really, really well, and and it, it's in a weird way close to some like Led Zeppelin mm. in like instrumentally. Um, so I think that actually would really work. Uh, Ramstein for those who are unfamiliar with German industrial metal. <laughs> um, <laughs> how about you, Andy? What would um, what would be your um, pre-game anthem? Yeah, I was thinking about this because. I think you need something that people are going to sing along to. Um, so something like the instrumental version, whilst it would be good to listen to, you don't get the camaraderie of pretending to be Elvis for the wonder of you, do you? Um, and like everyone's got a bad Elvis impression, haven't they? So I think that that works quite well for for that type of thing. So I think you'd like immediately discounting stuff like Queen because you can't really sing along with Freddie Mercury on, on something like that. So the one that I thought that everyone could do, and it's a pretty simple song, would be something like the summer of 69. We're all football fans. We all look to the past for like when things were better, even though we were mid-table in the what was the uh, old Division 1 for, for the Wolves fans. But we all look back at those times. And Summer of 69 by Brian Adams is about looking back to when things were a little bit simpler and everything. So for me, that was the first thing that came into my mind that could get everyone together. It's got guitar music, which I think generally works best with these type of things. And it's a fairly simple song to sing along to. So for me, that would be the one. Mm, excellent. I've I, This probably has been used. Um, so apologies if it has for those uh, keeping score at home. And I don't know, it would probably annoyingly be better off for a um, a Birmingham-based club. But for the exact reasons you've said, I think War Pigs by Black Sabbath would, um, for, for the, the being able to sing the words, but then sing the tune as well. Because mm. you can, like you would at the darts or something like that, sing the tune to Seven Nation Army. Um, I think that would work really well, especially then if they mixed in, I don't know, some player chant to it as well. Um, because I, when I when I was at the ground yesterday, I just thought to myself, like, the Wonder Review was great, and you know I was at Forest the away game in the cup, and they've got um, uh, Mullav Kintyre, is it? And there's some really good like pre-game tunes, and I was thinking, have have we moved beyond Hi Ho Silver Lining? Like, do we need an anthem now? Like, as a look forward, not backwards kind of thing. Um, and I know I'd get shot down for that if I said it on my. Uh, on you know, on the least uh, or less popular Wolves fancast, um, but yeah, I think War Pigs would be really good. We'd never get it because of the Birmingham connection at Molyneux, but it would be good as a as a one off if I could ever have that sway with David Evans. Um, yeah, we'd need to have a Slade one, I think, really for us. Yeah, we? would I be think it would more apropos. I think this song. Sorry, Stu. I was going to say the other songs that came to my mind would have been um, the Final Countdown by. Europe, Europe, is it? Yeah. Which is, again, it's a great song for everyone to sing along to. And you've got the diddle da bits that you can do, which would be great. But I don't think anyone would know the words to all of it apart from the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> That's the part. And that, I think the wonder of you, it, it goes back to like the 90s as well when we used to play it then. And like Simply the Best and a load of other things like that. And a lot of that stadium was is from the 90s. So mm. it, it just worked. And... I didn't know they were going to do that yesterday. And so I got there about 22, um, which was relatively early for me. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. And there was an inkling in my mind, are they going to do it? Are they going to, like, a few bars of the liquidator to tease us? And then, mm-hmm. they, but then they didn't do it. And it was like, everyone was so hyped up anyway, it didn't matter. <laughs> so keeping a, a, a song by the recently deceased Jeff Beck, um, yeah, I'll keep it. Keep it where it is. Is there but, a... Go on, sorry, Shay. So, but there's nothing wrong with adding to the start of things, which is what the big problem was, because they've been playing all this grime shit, which is... It doesn't work in a football sense. It doesn't work. It might be fine for Fast and Furious and whatever, but and, and different marketing things, but to get the crowd going for a football game, it doesn't work. Mm. I think there is a, definitely a link between either like orchestral music or rock slash rock music, I guess, <laughs> um, for football. Is there, a, is there a story behind having Tears for Fears, everybody wants to rule the world at, you know, after a win? Yeah, it was um, the guy who wrote it was a Man United fan, Warren. 
Okay. Well, he's a Man United fan. So we, we played it the first time uh, after we beat him in the cup. Um, and I think he was either, he was either a guest of honour or one of his friends was guest of honour that day. And it was when Laurie was still there. Hmm. And Laurie's DJ friend was there. And they played it as a kind of piss take. And then he's kind of turned into, oh, it's a Wolves win anthem. <laughs> and yeah, I love it. You know, now it's like it's stuck in the memory because you only hear it during the good times. So like it's like it's a song that isn't, you know, particularly uplifting, just becomes one, which is just which is just bizarre. But there we go. There we go. Okay, question two. <clears throat> so what I want to know is uh, what film should be given the orchestral treatment that isn't likely to have one, maybe because this film is controversial or it's just not that popular. And by the orchestral treatment, what I mean is, you know, you'd go to Symphony Hall and you'd watch it on the big screen, but there'd be an orchestra playing the score, you know, to the music. So, you know, you've had it recently with Star Wars and, uh, you know, a few others, but what film, um, Andy, would you like to see get this treatment that probably won't ever get this treatment? Like the, the first two that sprang to mind were um, Faces of Death and Salo. And I thought, actually, there's a good reason why nobody would want to see uh, either of those things on the big screen again. But the one that I think would be really good, and there's absolutely no way in hell, because by all intents and purposes, it's been forgotten by the company who made it, would be The Song of the South. And it's been, <laughs> it's been forgotten for very good reasons, because slavery was not a happy time for people. I shouldn't have to say that in 2023. Um, but actually, the music in that was really good. The It was a bright and colourful film. If you just look at the aesthetics of it, as opposed to the actual story behind it, it would work perfectly in that type of setting. A family setting where you've got this mix of live action and animation, big, beautiful colours with some wonderful incidental music and then you've actually got the songs that were sang, which were catchy as fuck, to be perfectly honest. But there's there's no way in hell that that film will get shown again for a very good reason. Mm. But I think that would be the perfect type of film for it because you've both got the score and you've got the actual songs that were created for the film as well. I don't know if they were Oscar nominated, but I have a feeling that Zippity Doodah may have been Oscar nominated, so it is quite um, quite popular. That one was. Yeah, I think if if they can take a ride away because it's it's based on Honey, then uh, I think it's it's not long for the world, is it? I don't think it's on Disney Plus. I think they've they've completely expunged it's, it. It's gone, gone forever. Because I know um, if you watch Dumbo, it does start with a warning saying that you know. The attitudes in this film are very much of its day and not to be taken for, for you know where we are now. But Song of the South is so far beyond the pale of the Jim Crow era cartoon characters that they've gone, no, fuck that. We, we want nothing to do with this film anymore. And, and I can't say I disagree with them. It's the right thing to do. It, it does need to be, you know, locked away and, you know, just looked at as a period piece if you choose to do that but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a bit grimy if you watch it now I think when when we talked about this film before I thought I'd watched it like there was a loose thing in the back of my head thinking like, I might have seen this but trying to find clips of it is bad enough anyway I've never seen this film I, I'm pretty convinced I've never seen it now um, so I kind of need to just to like like how I needed to watch Driller Killer back in the day um, and play Thrill Kill because it was banned. I need to. There's got to be. A, well, we know there is a way of finding it somewhere. Um, but just out of morbid curiosity, I just need to see, need to see it for myself. Mm. I know it's terrible. I know it's bad. But still, it's history, and I don't like the fact that. It's been expunged just because of the the reasons. There's nothing wrong with saying this is absolutely horrendous and putting a putting a, a warning at the start. Even make an eighteen, yeah, like give an adult the choice to to do it. But yeah, yeah, um, you, it, it is available in places because um, there's about a dozen Disney films which have all got very horrific depictions of of culture uh, that were all banned from that period of time, and there is a. A torrent pack out there with all a dozen, and I may know someone who has the uh, the torrents available. So, what would be your yours, Joe? I mean, mine. 
it's not controversial just because he's been forgotten from life. And I've mentioned it before, and yet to get every time I mention it, no one says anything. No, there's no response anytime. And you got Mark Ruffalo, Jada Pickett Smith, Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise, directed by Michael Mann, and it's collateral again. <laughs> collateral is fucking class. And even on IMDb, it's a four, it's a seven point five out of four hundred thousand people. And I've listened. It's one of the few that I've listened to the soundtrack of. You've got the the Paul Oakenfold. Uh, race it go with the Korean mix thing, as well as orchestral stuff in the background when he's in the car. It's the perfect film for something like this. That yeah, it, it might be. Is it an eighteen? No, it's a fifteen. Um, which might be a bit problematic because um, I don't know if there's an age range on these things. But I wouldn't expect a, a kid to go and sit in an orchestral reenactment of a film <laughs> um, anyway. But I just think its score is superb. And it needs more respect. Yeah, I can't... Like, the thing is, love the film, really do, but I like its score doesn't spring to mind, so I'm going to have to listen to it purely for those reasons now. I'm going to have to go back and, like, watch and listen out for it because I think when I watched that, I had less of an appreciation for scores and their impact on film as I do now. Mm. And knowing that the right score can make or wrong score can make or break a scene or a piece or anything. Um, so I'm going to have to go back and listen to that now, for sure. Um... My pick, I I can't find it anywhere, so I don't. But I'm not, so I'm not going to use Rocky because I can't believe that it wouldn't have been <laughs> used. It's going to have been done somewhere. So I'm going for the greatest new metal soundtrack and film of all time, and that is Queen of the Damned, um, <laughs> because there are now we know that rock and orchestras work. You had the Metallica S and M album that was really good, and there's obviously been other other versions of it. Only like at the moment, Rock by Candlelight is touring around the country. You can go and listen to famous rock songs being done by um, by orchestras, and and it, and it be done that way. So, but the Queen of the Dam soundtrack had um, Disturbed on it, Lincoln Park, Marilyn Manson, Static X, Papa Roach, Deftones, uh, amongst others, and Corn, and then stick an orchestra on the back of it, and then have it, you know, the Queen of the Dam stuff, so you could then just the lighting and you can make it more of like a spooky atmosphere do it at um do it at halloween etc as well and i think it'd be a really fun and unusual but not upsetting um piece of music i think would work really well and you're never going to see that in a million years because people don't put new metal and orchestral music together but actually they're probably closer than people realize um like that episode of the simpsons when cypress hill has the <laughs> Francisco Symphony Orchestra. Lollapalooza one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that so that would be my choice um, for that. But, I mean, I I think as time goes on, I'm going to try and get myself to more of these kind of showings and stuff like that of, because they just sound great. Like, I think the, the, the one that sticks out for me the longest that's always existed is War of the Worlds. I think like having going to see an orchestra version of that has been going on as long as as long as the the, the story itself has existed. Um, have you ever, have either of you guys been to anything like that? No, no. I, I've watched. There was a Doctor Who one that they did on like BBC Three uh, in in Wales. That's pretty much the extent of it for me. Is having watched it through a TV show rather than actually being there live. It's not something I ever thought about doing before, but. Actually, I think it'd be really cool to... I mean, you said Jewel of the Fates, which I think would be the perfect thing for it. It would be really quite cool to see the Star Wars films again, but with the live orchestra, I think it'd be perfect. I, I think the, the one thing that puts me off, but I think it wouldn't be the case because the people that would go to these events, I think, would have more of an appreciation and without you know, um, put this down to purely money, it's going to be a quite an expensive thing to go to than when I, like, I saw the Metallica thing at the cinema a few times and it ended up being like a big karaoke, which I'm not necessarily against, but um, that would be the only thing that would make me like, actually, am I going and am I, would I be expected to wear a suit or a tuxedo? <laughs> this Because it's essentially an orchestra, I don't know. But um, if you've been to one and you're listening to this podcast, please let us know um, on the socials what it was like and what was like the crowd like to see, you know, to see a film and then having the orchestral side of it too. It must have been... Must be a crazy experience. I'd love to hear people's um, people's opinions on on how, how good it was or how bad it was. Um, and finally, I want to know a zero to hero story. So, a band or an album you previously detested, but now you love, 
and I want to know why, Stu. <laughs> There's two for very different reasons. Um, the first one, obviously, was take that. Because <laughs> when you, you've already mentioned earlier when we were talking about Oasis and that kind of thing, we're growing up with that music and, again, I wish you could have seen the Verve and Charlatans and wherever. <laughs> Everyone's into that kind of stuff. If you said back then in the 90s that you liked Take That, you would have been beaten to a pulp. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and not being one of the popular kids and not being one of the, the nerds either, and, uh, well, quintessential in between, if you want to say that, it was, oh, just keep your head down, just don't get involved. And never thought of it. And when they broke up and uh, there was, and especially when boys, <laughs> when boys own broke up as well. And one of the girls was crying in science and it was hilarious. And, but when you get older and you start hearing it and like, you can, I can recite the five mega mix easy like that. You kind of think it doesn't really matter. Does it? It's, it's yeah, it's not the best <laughs> and it's, silly and camp and ridiculous and poppy in its own way but it's a good fun though and <laughs> a lot of it there's reasons why they made so much money when they came back Robbie or no Robbie doesn't really matter they were a massive hit probably better more so second time when they got more appreciation for what they were doing before and I was very tempted <laughs> to go with Dean to go and watch him um but there was that and then the, the, the other one for different for musical reasons, again, if you want into that stuff, indie rock, which most people were, you kind of looked at as you had the other stuff like placebo, and you were a bit dark, and you were a grebo, and all that kind of stuff. So things like Linkin Park, again, not really in my kind of my area at all until I went to uni. And then you start start going out, and then you go to Planet, and then you go to the Gifford and places like that, and you get a newfound respect for these things in the similar kind of way to take that when you're putting these two together. Who'd have thought? But completely different ends of the spectrum, but something I would never have thought of before. And actually, when you listen to it, and you think, especially hybrid theory, and you listen to it perfectly, you think this is brilliant. This is what was I scared of? Why don't you say, oh yeah, this is good. This is good. I don't care what you think. And that's kind of the reason for it. No like, animosity towards anyone at all, but it, it was just a, very much a case of peer pressure. And not that I really cared, but it was like, well, what is the point in saying anything about these things and getting into it when everyone else is just listening to Oasis every day? And that's great anyway. Hmm. So I think widening, getting older and listening, widening your horizons and whatever is what got me into everything rather than just one thing. And now it's to the fact that I don't have anything apart from grime shit that I don't listen to. <laughs> Give it time. It's funny because I listened to um, something on TalkSport the other day where they were talking about Take That um, and how they went from being a boy band to a man band. Yeah. Um, and it's absolutely right, though, because I mm-hmm. do Take That. It's not, you know, I would never put it on and listen to myself. But if, like, for some reason my my phone ran out of battery and I didn't have any Bluetooth in the car. So, and I had just the radio on, I wouldn't turn it over. You know what I mean? If it was on, if I, if, if you had to like, like radio station hop, I'd just leave it on. Um, and yeah, they've like, apart from when they did that shine and it become the music for Morrison's, um, <laughs> that's, that's when it went full circle for me. Um, what about you, Andy? I really struggled with this because there's loads of bands which have gone the other way. There's ones that I like to now have zero time for, like Queen, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, but I was trying to think, I was racking my brain like Radiohead. I wasn't a massive fan of the. They were a bit dirty and a bit meh before. But I wouldn't say I love them now. I just think they're all right. Uh, the Proclaimers as well. Like, they were a bit... I don't think I knew who the Proclaimers were because you only hear very select songs which are almost comedy songs. But actually, they've got quite a decent back catalogue when you listen to more than just 500 miles. But again, I wouldn't say I love them. So the one for me, I think that I... I think I didn't understand them before, which is the main difference, is Prince. Hmm. As a kid, listening to Prince, it was a bit... 
it was a bit wishy-washy. It was a bit nothingy. It was, oh, could you be the most beautiful girl in the world? And I'm like, oh, this is weird. And he seems <laughs> like a woman, so why is he singing this? And I, I don't think my young brain completely understood what he was actually getting at with any of it. But then they hit a point, and I think sadly, I think it was probably around the time of his passing, is when I went and revisited stuff like um, the the album that name escapes me, the one which starts off where he's singing the song about AIDS, um, and it's like it's actually the stuff that he sings about is actually quite important and meaningful within the people who listen to his music and his own community. He seemed to have a lot more about him than people would have ever given him credit for of my generation at least sign of the times that's the album sign of the times starts off talking about the big disease with a little name and actually like his lyrics were really quite brilliant when coupled with his voice and it just worked perfectly and then you threw in the stuff that he did with the band who did nothing compares to you which was then taken on by Sinead O'Connor and then you got Morris Day and the tying which was like the really funky stuff that he did which was quite different to the more melodic stuff that we know of Prince Raspberry Beret um Purple Ray like he's got some absolute belters out there as well so I, I think it was that I didn't understand him as a younger person but then now I've just got this newfound appreciation that he was one funky motherfucker and he was really cool with it. So I'm kind of glad I went and revisited his music because I don't think I would have ever really got the person behind it without doing that. Mm, it was weird because there was a time where you had to put, you had to tell everybody what line in the sand you were on and who were you more upset about Bowie or Prince dying. It was a really weird time for about six <laughs> months where you had to pick who you were mourning over. Um, and I think, you know, Prince, I don't think probably been covered by loads of people sample wise in songs these days that just wouldn't have got the credit for it now um but then i did listen to the po- a podcast about nothing compares to you and how he tried to murder Sinead o'connor <laughs> so i'm not also <laughs> quite um quite on, on board um for me i mean i'm currently going through it with ghost um who i'm really really into at the moment but i think the one historically that springs to mind would be blink 182 um Back when Blink-182 were in their heyday and I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, underage drinking in Wolverhampton under the canal by the Canal Club. Um, even though we were all, like, into rock music and going to under 18, there was a, there was a very much a divide between the pop punkers and the new metalers. And like a, like a Shakespearean tragedy, the two should never mix... And if if you were if you were into Limp Bizkit Corn, you wouldn't be seen dead listening to Blink One Eight Two in Green Day, and that's kind of how it went for years for me. Like pop punk would be as bad as listening to pop music in general and listening to the charts for me. And like I just wouldn't listen to it if it would come on in a nightclub. I'd just go to another room because I couldn't stand it. Um, and then t- as time went, I just realised how silly I was being and just <laughs> how much of a good time that you would have to this music. Um, and in an and in an era of like going to like at the back end of uni, going to like walk about all the time and really shit yes. clubs like that. Um <laughs> occasionally they'd have about twenty minutes of like rock what they thought was rock music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe like Blink One Eight Two and stuff like that. You just grew an appreciation for it that you'd rather hear that than not hear it at all. And now it gets to the point where I'll listen to like MTV rock albums, which are just compilations of like the old MTV two days and stuff mm. like that, which is all Blink 182, Green Day and stuff like that. And I think Blink for me at the time, like it was just, it, pro- it produced this volatile reaction to me. But now I just really appreciate how silly I was being and how, and how good and fun um, that music was. And I feel a bit silly for all the time that I should have been enjoying them in their pomp instead of now. Oh, I miss Walkabout. It was great. For its, for its own levels of badness. Especially on a Thursday night as well, for some reason. If you hadn't gone, if you hadn't gone to Planet and you, you went the other way, um, it, it was cheesiness personified without going down the kind of cheekies route. I, went, been... I only ever went on a Tuesday because there wasn't Planet to go to. Um, so I, when I was at Union, I went out every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for three years. <laughs> like I um I and I ne- I like I barely ever went to Blastoff. Um, I was always Planet for Life. Um, 
and I'd go, but I'd go to walk about on a Tuesday or then Oceana did a night, like a student night on a Tuesday that I used to mm. go to, which again was diabolical. Um, the only thing that walkabout ever did for me is that like when we was at uni, we'd watch the ashes like in real time, like through the whole day, just like drinking beer all day. I don't even like cricket that much, but it was just <laughs> a thing that we did. I think I, I never went back on a Tuesday. I mean, it's probably this is, like Sharon's carrying eight, getting noshed off on the fire escape at the back. And <laughs> <laughs> on, on a Tuesday, it was like, uh, what was his name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't remember what she looked like. That was the problem. And I thought, well, if I know she goes on a Tuesday, so I just never, we never went on a Tuesday again for years. <laughs> oh, my Lord above. Oh, my Lord above. Well, on that bombshell of uh, shoes. It's what that John Peel meme on Fessol. <laughs> I need to, need to come up with one. That that was Tuesday noshing off by the shoes. <laughs> um, that will uh, we'll leave it there for now. Um, if you have any musical questions you still want answering or, or answers to these musical questions from yourself, we'd absolutely love to hear from you on the socials at Cage Fighting Pod. Um, please tr- like and share this episode amongst your friends. It'd be really great if in this year we could grow our um, grow our fan base a little bit and just get out to more and more people you know we're never gonna this is never gonna be uh our gold-plated mansion money-making machine we do this just for the shits and giggles so if we can do that and get out to as many people as possible and get involved then you know we'd really love to do so um but yeah case fighting pod on the socials drop us an email as well um and uh tickle our inbox uh, much like shoes tuesday balls and uh hopefully <laughs> we'll um, we'll get to read those out as well but for now andy if you'd like to say bye I feel so weird when you get to say it first. I don't think I'll ever get used to it. Uh, See you all soon. Um, We've got a question cast coming up next week, so get your questions in for that. Stu, if you'd like to say goodbye. (laughs) I know people don't like Mondays, but be happy because you've got us to listen to today. Goodbye. (laughs) Absolutely. And from me, remember, party on, dudes. (laughs) 